I'm reading two verses from the 41st Psalm. And uh, you'll notice a very great similarity between the two. First of all, I want to read verse number 4. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. And then in verse number 10, But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I might requite them. You'll notice in both the verses, the phrase, Be merciful unto me. Now, I'm preaching in these services on worshiping the King. From some of the Psalms that give some of the great themes of the church. And tonight we come to this 41st chapter. And I want to preach for a few minutes on the subject, Worshiping the Sympathizing King. Worshiping the Sympathizing King. Uh, I read that when John II assumed the leadership of Portugal, it is said that he made the statement, I'm the Lord of Lords, not the server of servants. No one from that point on dared to defy him. There had been various conspiracies. But uh, at that point, from that point on, he, having stated his purpose, that he was in charge, he didn't have anybody else to rise up against him. Well, I'd like to emphasize tonight that our king is also Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Or should I say, truly, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. However... He sympathetically serves those who are subjects of His. He's a sympathizing king. I don't know about you, but I respond to people who are merciful and are sympathetic. Uh, Some people apparently respond to people who are retaliant and revenging. And bossy. My wife mentioned something to me today over the phone about a situation uh, near home. And uh, she mentioned somebody else's name. I said, oh Lord, she doesn't need to get any. She wouldn't know mercy if she saw it. There's people that have no idea what it is to be merciful. To be forgiving. To be kind. But our King, oh, our King, is a sympathizing King. And I'd like to revel, I'd just like to wallow in His sympathy for a few minutes tonight in this 41st Psalm. Now, I have enjoyed studying what we call the Messianic Psalms. And this Psalm is not 
fully, completely messianic. But verse number 9 is quoted in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 13 and verse 18 where Satan lifted up his heel against him in Judas Iscariot. And so this psalm is not only Davidic, it is a psalm of David, as the title tells us. But it is also messianic. It points us to Christ. And oh, without question, He is the sympathizing Savior King. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I was studying and writing some today on the life of Elijah. And Elijah is said to have been a man of like passions as we are. And Brother Gribble and I were fellowshipping around that earlier tonight. It's really encouraging, isn't it, that Elijah, God used him so greatly, and yet he was a man also. A man of like passions. But here's one even better than that. The Lord Jesus is one of great kindness and mercy. And He is touched, He becomes one with the feelings of our infirmities. Well, I don't know what someone may be facing tonight, but I... I pray that in our moving through these 13 verses briefly that God will minister to your heart. I want to begin in verses 1 through 4. And in these verses I want to point out that our, our Lord is a sympathizing King. Here's my first thought. When we are taking inspection. Now, I know that you don't do this, but I'm bad to inspect myself, to inspect my motives, uh, to inspect my statements. Boy, I've, I've left a meeting on numerous occasions and said to myself as I went down the road, why didn't I say that better? Why did I say that the way I said it? inspecting my words. But there are times when we do more than inspect our motives and our words. We inspect our souls. I am aware there are those who never look inward. They're always looking at everybody else. But here the psalmist reminds us that there's times when we take inspection. Now, let me admit that like David, I, I often, and I, I think you'll say you do too, I want to inspect the good first. I doubt it will outweigh the bad, but let me at least mention the good, Lord. And so David begins with the good, he ends with the bad, and he confesses that he has great needs of the king. Notice he begins, first of all, by inspecting his strengths. In verse number 1, he indicates that he has had a heart for poor people. Those that can't help themselves. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. 
And this seems to be a reference to himself as he inspects his own life. He says, well, at least I have tried to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. In verse number 2, he mentions this from another vantage point. He said, the Lord will preserve him, that is the one that considers the poor, and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. He said, surely I, I have tried to help some people. And he said, I, I, I believe the Lord will bless me. And I believe that He'll keep me alive because I've done some good things. And he added in verse number 2, And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. He felt like the Lord would protect him from those who were opposed to him. And so he is inspecting his strengths. Ah, but he doesn't stop there. In verses 4, uh, in verse number 4, after he talks about how the Lord will strengthen him even when he's on the sick bed, he said in verse 4, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. He said, Lord, I've, I've inspected my strengths, but uh, I, I want to inspect my sins. He, he said, I need your mercy, Lord. I need your compassion. I need your sympathy. When I look at my soul, I realize I have sinned against thee. I'll not linger here but a moment. But even if our sins involve people, the real issue is that we've sinned against God. I think that's why some people have difficulty repenting. They feel like maybe if they have hurt anybody, it's a person. It's not, it's not anybody, uh, it's their neighbor or maybe someone in the community. But dear friend, our sins offend God. God is holy. And all of our disobedience, all of our selfishness, all of our deceitfulness, all of our rottenness, it's against God Himself. And so David, boy, he's getting honest, isn't he? He's, he's coming face to face with his sins. And he said, Lord, I have sinned against Thee. The old spiritual said, it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Charles Spurgeon said about David's confession here, he said his confession is without an excuse and without any qualification. He just said, I have sinned. I wonder tonight, if you're trying to blame it on someone else, well, if it hadn't been for them, if it hadn't been for, uh, for him or her, no, don't use any excuse. Don't try to qualify your wrong or justify it. Go ahead and say, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Oh, I'm grateful He's the sympathizing King. 
when we are taking inspection. Someone here tonight, by the help of the Holy Spirit, may take inspection. And you may feel, oh, I'll be the last one the Lord helps the way I am. Oh, he's a sympathizing king tonight, dear friend. Jesus knows where you are. And He knows where I am and our great needs. Then come with me to verses 5 through 9. We not only learn that Jesus is the sympathizing king when we are taking inspection. But secondly, we see that He is the sympathizing king when we are facing rejection. Now, everybody's not alike. Everybody doesn't have the same type personality. Everyone does not respond to circumstances alike. Your weaknesses may be my strengths. Your strengths may be my weaknesses. We're all different. There's a good day when I realize that. That keeps you from putting everybody in the same basket. God deals with all of us as we are, not as others want us to be. But uh, I have found over the years that I don't handle rejection very well. I've got a couple of friends. Uh, One of them recently uh, had some problems in his church. And basically, he was asked to leave. Of course, the folks at the church said, we didn't ask him to leave. We didn't tell him he had to leave. But they so put the screws down and so worked the situation, there was hardly any other alternative. Well, I thought, now this is going to really really knock him down. Nothing else seems to bother me. Boy, this is going to knock him down. Maybe a week. He may have whined around about a week. And he bounced right back and laughing and having a big time and cutting up. That's not my personality. I think all kinds of ugly things. I'll rethink all that I said and, and wish I'd said it more severe. I wish I'd told him what I thought. And I heard one fella say, he said... I wound quickly and heal slowly. Well, some of us are a little more touchy, I guess, uh, than others. But I'm saying all that to say this. Rejection may not be big to you, but it can be big to others. And David talks about his rejection. And in my study of the Psalms in the last year, year and a half, I have noticed that he is constantly Not in every psalm, but constantly throughout the psalms, he is asking God to do something for him in relationship to his enemies. Some of them were fleshly enemies, relatives. Some of them were spiritual enemies, the devil and others who have attacked him in his spiritual progress. Some of them are out and out rebels against God. But he's very conscious of his enemies. And yet, he talks about God in this chapter as being sympathetic. Sympathetic when we're taking inspection. But all more than that, sympathetic 
when we're facing rejection. Now, I hope none of us are as bad as, as me being here in Mount Airy. Uh, I hope none of us are as bad as uh, that fellow in Andy's story, you know, uh, that wouldn't go to the football game because he thought every time they got in a huddle that they was talking about him. I hope none of us are like that. Uh, but I tell you, there are times when, when uh, we experience the, the rough edges of rejection. Notice what David begins with in verses 5 through 8. He begins by talking about the hatred that he feels in rejection. Verse 5, Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die? And his name perish. He said, they're hoping I'll get out of here. They're hoping I'll die and go on. And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. <laughs> All they that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. David said, they're telling all kinds of stories about me. He said, they're whispering. And some of them are saying it out loud. And when one of them comes to see me, he doesn't come to help me. He comes to gather up a little more information. So he can go out and tell them. Ah, David's feeling rejection. Here, this, this spirit of hatred involves his foes, his, his enemies, those who are against him. You mention his name and they want to uh, fight or they want to uh, retaliate and say we hate him, we despise him. There's nothing to him. He's not real. He's of no value. David said, I'm glad we have a sympathizing king when we're facing the hatred of rejection. Our, our youngest daughter turned 15 today. Some of you remember. My wife and I, we had, we had two girls on the first shift and then we had a surprise package on the second shift of life. And uh, uh, I love to tell the story, you know. Uh, my wife, uh, my wife said, "I didn't want to have any children at this time in life." I said, "Was well, worse than that? We didn't think you could." <laughs> but surprise, surprise, surprise! And uh, uh, of course, it's all right for you to laugh. We did too after we cried a while. But uh, she had her 15th birthday today. Uh, that's one of the joys of traveling. I say joys, I'm being sarcastic. You miss special days like that. And she and I talked. I sent her an email birthday card earlier this morning. And uh, she's a special blessing. And I, I love her and appreciate her. But I tell you, uh, when uh, 
when we found out we were having another little baby. There was some sarcasm. There was some hurt by different people. And uh, both people are just so kind, aren't they, sometimes? <laughs> but uh, today, uh, she turned 15 and, and she's working a little job. She's been working about 25 hours a week. And uh, I, wanted, I want, didn't want her to turn out like some of the young ones I know uh, that refuse to work. I wanted to find out what it's about. And so I went behind her back and did all I could to get her hired. That's right. Well, I said, that's awful. No, that's wise. I'd just soon pay my bills only the rest of my life, not my children's. I told my, I was kidding my girls, I preached through the book of, somehow the book of Job not long ago. And you know, one of Job's friends, well, he had, there was Zophar and Bildad. And uh, I told them that I had a new name. I found a new name in the Bible uh, for me while I was preaching in Job. I said, it wasn't Zophar, it wasn't Eliphaz, it was Bildad. Because it seems like they always want to say, Dad, here's the bill. Bill, Dad. Well, at any rate, I want to tell you, on that job she came home crying the other day. And she's finding out what other people's like. She came home crying. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, Daddy, we had a good day. We had a good day, very busy. And she said, the tip bucket was pretty full. And she said, all I can figure is that other girl decided she needed more of it than me. And she said, all I got was $8 out of the tip bucket. And she'd been averaged about 22 to $25. And she couldn't figure it out. She said, why would she do that? I told her, I said, because her daddy does. Because her mama does. Or because their neighbor. She's found out she can take advantage of people and seemingly get by. But I said, you just do right. You just do right. And you won't just seemingly get by. The Lord will bless you. You do what's right. I'm telling you, there are foes on every hand. But we have a sympathizing king. When we feel the bitterness of rejection and its hatred. Then in verse number 9. Boy, David said, I've not only been rejected by my foes, but by my friend. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. I don't know of whom he speaks. Uh, I noticed Alexander McLaren, that great Baptist preacher of a hundred years ago, said that it must have been a reference to Ahithophel who turned against David. Uh, we're not told, but he does say he was my own familiar friend. 
And the Holy Spirit so used this that later on he, he applied it to Judas Iscariot. Turned it against Jesus. He had been with him for three years. He had heard his sermons, witnessed his miracles. He had been the object of his kind dealings. But somehow he didn't have a heart for Jesus. And I believe that's the idea here. David's had somebody that's been close to him. He knows him like nobody else. And David felt comfortable around him and trusted him. But he's acted like Judas Iscariot. He's turned on him. Uh, you know, I've learned this. Great friends can become great foes. Now hang on now. Great friends can become great foes. Secondly, great foes who used to be great friends can find great faults because they know you better than other people know. But hallelujah, great faith can overcome great foes and all the fault finding that they're wrapped up in. David said, Lord, I want you to be merciful to me. I've got some foes that have rejected me. I've got some friends that rejected me. And I'll tell you, this thing of having a close friend to turn on you is difficult. It's hurtful. Some of you know what it's like to go by brother so-and-so's house on Sunday night when you're going home and somebody else's car is parked where yours used to be parked on Sunday night when you went by there to fellowship. Somebody else has taken your place now. And they can't fellowship with you anymore. One of your good friends now won't even throw up his hand when you pass by him on the road. You know, here in North Carolina, we're known for just waving at people. My girls asked me, said, Dad, do you know everybody? I said, no, honey, we're just waving at people, being friendly. But you ever notice some people that used to wave at you when they'd see you? Now when you pass them, I don't know if they saw a rabbit over there in the field or what. But they was looking over the other way when I came by. Seems like they, they've forgotten who I was. You ever go to Walmart and you see somebody coming at the end of the aisle? And, and before you get to the end of that, that line, they've jumped over in the other aisle. They just happened to thought about some toilet cleaner that they needed on aisle 13. And, and so there they are, rejecting you. I guess it's mean of me, but in my older years, I, I remember that I need some Ajax too. And I go over on that same road. So they'll have to speak. My dog hadn't been in their garbage. My children didn't throw gravel on their car. Somehow they get a spirit of rejection in them. And you can't do anything right. You say something and they cut it down. You do something and they discredit it. I'm talking to you 
about times of rejection. But oh, in all of this, David said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Be merciful unto me. I tell you, we have a sympathizing king when we are taking inspection. And we have a sympathizing king when we're facing rejection. Then I want you to look with me at those remaining verses. Verses 10 through 13. Here, David reminds us that we have a sympathizing king when we are needing direction. He begins to pray for God's help and leadership. Verse 10, But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. He said, Lord, I need your direction and your favor. You've given me favor. You're granting me favor. It helps me with my direction. Now if you're not careful, you'll look at all your failures. Then you'll look at all your enemies and you'll bog down. But David ends up by looking to God. He's a sympathizing king. He helps us and directs us with His favor. Be merciful unto me, he said. Then I'll know that thou favorest me. And then notice He not only says, I need you to be merciful unto me and favor me. I think we could say that's what God does. That's what He's done. I was preaching again the other night out of John 14. I hadn't been in that territory in a long time. And I got down to verse number 12 and 13 where Jesus said to the disciples, He said, if you can't believe me for who I am and where I'm going, I wish you'd believe me for what I've already done. Believe me for the works sake. Well, boy, he had done a lot of wonderful works. They're recorded in the chapters previous. In chapter 2, he turned water into wine. In chapter 4, he healed the nobleman's son. In chapter 5, he raised the fellow up who had never walked at the pool of Bethesda. In chapter 6, he fed the multitudes with five loaves and two fishes. In chapter 9, he opened a blind man's eyes. In chapter 11, most recently, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, boys, if you're having trouble believing me, why don't you just look back at what I've already done? Boy, that encourages faith, doesn't it? Some of you here tonight may be having a difficult time laying hold of God by faith tonight. Why don't you just go down memory lane and look at what all He's already done for you. Ah, he's a miracle worker. I love that story about the lady that worked over at the mill. She had a new boss from up north. And he was going around from workstation to workstation introducing himself. Some of them told him before he got to her that she's a real Christian. You better watch your language. She's going to invite you to church. 
So he got to her place and he said, I hear you're a Christian. Yes, sir, she said. The Lord saved me many years ago. He said, does that mean you believe the Bible? Oh, yes, I believe that Bible from cover to cover. He said, surely you don't believe the miracles of the Bible? She said, every one of them. He said, well, what about that miracle about Jesus turning water into wine? You weren't there when He turned water into wine, supposedly. How can you believe that? She said, well, sir, I wasn't there. You're right. When He turned water into wine, I was not there. But when He saved my husband, I watched Him turn liquor into groceries. (laughs) Ah, she'd witnessed a miracle herself, hadn't she? I'm talking to you about God being favorable to us. Uh, And then in verses 12 and 13, you'll notice there's not only direction in the king's favor, but there's direction on the king's face by this. Verse 12, And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and everlasting. Amen and amen. He said, I got to looking on your face and I got some direction out of that. And I not only want to thank you for what you've done, I want to praise you for who you are. Well, you, you give direction with your face. Say that little child's cutting up at the store. Let's say his name's Tom or Tommy from, I'll use my name. Tommy's misbehaving. And you say, hey! And he looks and he's paralyzed with fear. You gave him some directions just in the look of your face. That's right. Of course, I preach in Baptist churches almost every night of my life, talking about looking at faces. I, I've understood now why the old prophet said, and be not afraid of their faces. <laughs> Son, you can, feel, you can feel the electricity off some people's looks. She had shut up and gone. Wish he'd get out. When they gonna get out? You can see it on their faces. But David said, I've seen, I've seen your kindness in your face. Now I want to bless your name. And he got a little carried away here. He didn't say just blessed be the Lord God of Israel, but he said, From everlasting and everlasting. And then he said, Amen and Amen. Amen and amen. Uh, I, I had an old preacher set me straight when I first started preaching, and I'll ever be grateful. I was saying amen about every four words. I'd be preaching, amen. Go look, amen. Go look, amen. Amen. 
Didn't we hear amen? Just amen, amen, amen. And the old preacher said, Tom, you don't have to say amen every other breath. He said, work on that. Get it out. He said, we want a clear message. We don't want a message with 85 amens. Well, he was a wise man. He was trying to help me. And I'm grateful. But uh, I must tell you, every now and then, if I get caught up in worship, if I find the face of the king looking my way, I find myself wanting to say, Amen and Amen, Lord. Amen and Amen and Amen. So be it, Jesus. Amen and Amen. Ah, I say to you, the sympathizing king sympathizes when we're taking inspection. He sympathizes with us when we're facing rejection. He sympathizes with us when we're needing direction. I read about another king, Alfonso. Wouldn't you like that name? Alfonso, the 11th king of Castile. He was known also as the Avenger. Brother, what a terrible record. The Avenger. The reason he was so ferocious in dealing with people. He was bloody in his methods. He killed for reasons of state without a form of a trial. He'd just say, kill him, kill her, kill them, and have it done. And they named him the Avenger. Now listen, I want to close with this word. The best I can understand the Bible we all deserve the judgment of the great king. But somehow, he has chosen to be sympathetic with those who recognize their sinfulness and cry out for his help. My thought to us tonight is if you're here and you're not a Christian, may God help you to trust Jesus in a saving way. Yeah. He, he's sympathetic. He ought to send us all to hell. But He saves all that comes to God by Him. And then those of us who are saved, we ought to trust Him afresh with our burdens. He sympathizes with us. The old black preacher had preached a meeting in another state. He had brought his wife with him because he didn't have enough in the pantry to take care of her in his absence. So he took his wife to the meeting with him. And he knew they'd take care of him while he was there. But on the last night, they came to him with the offering. He had seen that look before. And he sunk in despair within. They said to him, we wish it could be more, brother. And when he and his wife counted it that night, there was only enough to get his wife a train ticket home. And so he put her on the train, bought the ticket, put her on the train. And then he began to walk all the way back to the next state. Around 200 miles, 
He chose the railroad because it'd be a little straighter. People helped him along the way and fed him with this and that. He slept in the bushes under trees, sometimes on somebody's porch. Somewhere between the train station and home after several days, he got to saying, there's no sense in me feeling sorry for myself. Jesus never has let me down. And he began to sing out there in the wild as he headed down the track. In the end, the chorus of the song went like this. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. He had found out His King is a sympathizing King. May the Spirit of God apply these principles to our lives. You're standing with me, please. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed.